everyone. Welcome back and thanks for joining us here at CBE Denver's podcast, Mutuality Minded. My name is Abby Hopkins and I and my friend and fellow intern Liz Patton are your new podcast hosts. We're both Denver Seminary students and soon to be Densim grads. Liz has just completed a Master of Divinity degree and specializes in chaplaincy. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I am about to finish my MDiv with a focus on cultural engagement. We are both passionate about Jesus and spreading the good news of mutuality. We are excited to pick up where Taylor left off, bringing you more stimulating conversations about the topic of biblical mutuality. As always, we at CBE Denver seek to advance the gospel by equipping Christians to use their God-given talents in leadership and service, regardless of gender, ethnicity, or class. This podcast is another way to discuss the biblical basis for equality through the inerrant word of God and to encourage one another to develop leadership skills and spiritual gifts for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. In this episode, we will be engaging in a conversation about mutuality, specifically in the realm of church planning. Joining us is Danielle Reeves. She is the church planner of and lead pastor at Resilience Church in Denver, a church self-described as a community of people who gather in local coffee shops and homes to walk the journey of faith and serve the community together. She graduated from Denver Seminary with a Master of Divinity in 2020 and has experience in a variety of ministry roles. Welcome, Danielle. Thanks, Abby. We're so grateful that you can join us. We'll just go ahead and dive right in. Awesome. Sounds great. So just first want to talk kind of about your different ministry experiences and the different roles that you've been able to have. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ministry started for me right after college. I was in um, an urban setting in Philadelphia. And I got to work with an urban ministry there. Um, We did vacation Bible schools on different drug corners and Mm. um, high needs corners in the city. Really loved it. Ended up staying there and became a youth pastor um, in an urban setting as well. So that was kind of what launched me. Then I had a few years as a teacher and also in an urban setting, but back here in Colorado. And then uh, ended up in church ministry in a whole variety of scenarios When my kids were little, I led a MOPS group um, at Waterstone Community Church for a number of years. And then when my kids were um, a little bit older, I did a whole bunch of things. I was the evangelism director. I was the mobilization pastor. I ran kids ministry a couple (laughs) times for some smaller services we had. Um, And then at the very end, I oversaw staff and um, was the executive pastor. So lots of lots lots of different hats. I know. (laughs) So when did you first feel called to church planning? You know, it's funny. um, I didn't for a really long time. It Mm -hmm. caught me by surprise, actually. Uh, When I stepped into the role as executive pastor, that was at the beginning of 2019. And in the midst of that, um, I'd been at Waterstone for 25 years on staff for 15. And um, the lead pastor that I'd served under for a long time had taken a back seat. And one of my peers became the lead pastor. Really have a ton of respect for him, Larry Renault. So Larry had asked me to be his executive pastor. And it was soon after that. I was still finishing up at Denver Seminary and just realized that um, something was happening inside of me. I was having a churning um, and realized that I, I just didn't think it was the right fit. 
um, thought that, you know, Larry and I work together really well, um, really bring, uh, there are a lot of skills that I have. I have a master's in organizational leadership, so that's kind of right up my alley, but just something was churning inside of me. And, um, and I didn't know what to do with that, to be honest. I, you know, when, when you've been at a church for that long, it becomes your family and the people you worship with and your coworkers. Um, and it's hard to go backwards in a role once you are an executive pastor. So I reached out to a friend of mine, Jay Pathak, here in town. And Jay, for years before that, had said, hey, I think you should be a church planter. And to be honest, I said, that is the most ridiculous thing that anyone has ever said to me. <laughs> Until about, you know, March of 2019. And then I started thinking about it. And finally, in June, I reached out to him and said, okay, tell me about this church planting thing. And so he connected me with Stadia. Stadia is a church plant organization. They work both um, in the United States and then across the world. And um, Jay said, hey, just go through the assessment process. And so really it was through the assessment process. They do a really in-depth assessment, both online and then in person, that I really began to think, gosh, I think this might fit me well. And um, it was the moment that we were in this in-person assessment. It's super intense. You show up at like noon on a Tuesday, you're there until like noon on a Friday. They don't tell you what you're going to do. They throw you into all these unusual circumstances with people you've never met before, and people are assessing you and giving you <laughs> feedback. And, um, you know, I, I was feeling overwhelmed and emotional about the idea of stepping out of my role at Waterstone. And um, my husband looked at me, and my husband's a hospital chaplain um, in Aurora. And he said, you know, I knew that if you wanted to church plant, that you could church plant because you can do whatever you put your mind to. But he said, watching this assessment process made me realize that you were made for this wow. and that your life and all of the things that you've been trained in and your different experiences have pointed to this moment. And so, you know, it just was the affirmation of an assessment team. Uh, part of that assessment team was, was Larry, the lead pastor, and some elders and mentors and people outside of, um, of that organization that affirmed that call in me. Uh, gave me the courage to say yes. So then you entered into this. Yep. In yep. 2020. In 2020. God has a sense of humor. Yes, he does. What was that like? <laughs> so when you follow um, the assess, when you follow the plan, when you follow Stadia's plan, you know they've got they do a great job of kind of giving you a roadmap. So you you follow this roadmap. You get a core team together. Um, you kind of follow this process, and then when you are ready to launch, the plan is to launch in a building with about two to 300 people. And so that was, without, we were following the plan. We were on track to do that. So that was in January, February, and the beginning of March of 2020. And then uh, you all know that the pandep pandemic happened, um, and that changed everything. So we, um, for the first couple of months, we actually did a bunch of stuff on Facebook and Instagram, just silly things like, hey, how do we connect with people that are stuck at home? So we would do a work from home day because everyone was working from home and we'd have people post um, their favorite tie dye outfit or wear a costume and send us a picture. And then we would send people gift cards for Grubhub or something um, just as a way to connect with people. Mm -hmm. We would post encouraging things, uh, you know, different quotes or uh, little devotionals. So just kind of trying to, to connect with people. And then um, May rolled around and just started to realize that this pandemic thing was going to be here for longer than we thought. Um, and we had some people that were interested in investing in a rental space for us, but it didn't feel responsible, honestly, mm. uh, to ask them to give towards that rental property when we weren't sure what was going to happen with the pandemic. So in May decided that we were going to hold off. And in June, the grand idea became, hey, let's do something online. 
Well, I um, I didn't grow up in the church. And when I first came to Christ, it was in high school through Young Life. And when I started going to church and getting involved in things in like my late high school, college years, um, I always felt like I was missing something as far as information. I'd show up and it seemed like everyone else knew all the answers and knew all the characters and I felt behind the game. And honestly, church felt um, weird and uncomfortable. And I, it just was, it was a brand new context for me. So it was really important to me that if we were going to do something online, it it felt welcoming for people that had never experienced church. And so um, I was, we were brainstorming, like, well, what does that look like? And I don't know if you watched Jimmy Fallon at home when he's doing his he's doing his Jimmy Fallon thing from his living room and his kids are crawling over him and there's a giant slide in the background. That's what we were going to do. We were <laughs> going to launch it. like Jimmy Fallon at home, Resilience Church Edition. Um, <laughs> it was going to be like 30 minutes. We'd do like a 10-minute TED Talk length um, sermonette. And then we were really committed to engaging with people and building community. Um, so that was the plan in June. And then July rolled around, and I took two weeks off and did a bunch of hiking in the mountains here in Colorado. And literally on top of a mountain, I kind of had a faith crisis. <laughs> it kind of started with, God, I'm not sure you exist. And it only took a few minutes to look around and say, okay, I believe in your universal revelation, and I trust that you are here, but I'm pretty sure you messed up. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, it doesn't make any sense to launch something online in this season it's going to take all of our people time, all of our financial resources, it, and we're going to be competing literally against a million other things. And it was in that moment that I had an impression. It wasn't, you know, it's obviously not an audible voice, but it was this impression of I've never needed a building or tech equipment to expand the work of my church. Mm-hmm. And an invitation into looking at churches around the world and looking at the early church and really learning what did that what did that look like? And so um, I came down, hiked down off the mountain, and looked at my <laughs> husband and said, "I think I think I'm supposed to totally flip the model." So that's what we did. We flipped it, and instead of gathering big and planning for big, uh, we ditched the idea of a building. We have some friends that own a local coffee shop, Atlas Coffee. Uh, shout out to them. I know they're great. Uh, Brad and Robin Haycoop, and so we they let us use their their space for free after hours. So we started October 15th, 2020, with 10 people in the room, masked up, because that was the max, everyone else online. Um, we decided that we wanted to launch during the week for people who um, maybe are, they're drawn to the mountains or they work on the weekends. So we just wanted to try, we thought, well, we don't have anything to lose, let's try something different. And that quickly expanded to both a Tuesday night and a Thursday night, because we had so many people that wanted to connect in person. Um, and we started to realize that what we thought was going to be a temporary movement, a temporary, you know, way to kind of launch the church, we began to realize that for a lot of people, um, walking into a church building is intimidating. It's scary. For some people, there's hurt there. But a lot of people walk into a coffee shop. And so it became a a safe third space for people to come and really begin to sit in a space, build community and ask questions of faith. Wow, what a journey. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for sharing that. And just seems like your openness to the Spirit's leading and this calling that was so evident and affirmed in you by different people, and then to have that questioned because of everything going on, um, but just appreciate your faithfulness in stepping into that. Well, what you. has it been like the past, I guess, two years now yeah. since then? Um, it's kind of a roller coaster, and I was warned that that's, that's kind of how it goes for church planting. There's a, there's a vulnerability in stepping into something new, 
Um, there's a vulnerability into doing a kind of non-traditional form of church. Um, so there's, there's really end up wrestling a lot with kind of those self-doubts. Um, there are days that you feel, you know, I feel a little bit crazy, like, gosh, God, have I misheard? Am I misunderstanding? Did you mess up? And then there are way more days than that where there's this sense of invitation from him. Mm -hmm. There's a sense of um, continuing to step into what, you know, what he has in front of us. And just watching um, what's happening has been amazing. I mean, it's, you know, Resilience Church is a small community, and that's kind of by design. When we launched it, we launched with the intent, kind of like the early church where we have one gathering space, and when that gathering space grows and fills, then we add another gathering space led by other leaders. And so as that's, you know, happened, we've got from a one-year-old up to 75-year-old with people from different cultures and backgrounds and perspectives, people who don't have a faith, people who have a long-time faith. And it's been a real gift for me to get to see how God works in the midst of his people um, really have a passion for this idea that Jesus invites everyone to the table. and uh, There are no exceptions to who he invites. It, we get to decide if we accept the invitation. And when you put everybody at the table from different backgrounds and perspectives, it's messy, just like a literal table. Uh, but how beautiful that is, seeing God in the midst of the mess. Mm, I love that. So not only are you in this unique church plant model, but you're also a woman church planter and yes. head pastor. What are some of the unique challenges or opportunities that have come with that? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I think some of the challenges, um, one of the things that I had to think a lot about is that I am a female church planter but I'm also a church planter. Mm. And so some of the challenges that I face are challenges that every church planter faces. Um, one of those is that when you are a non-traditional form of church, and this is true for, honestly, for, for larger churches too, it can feel very isolative. Um, you know, you can end up kind of in your leadership bubble. And so finding good networking spaces um, can be a challenge. And then the second part that is a challenge in, in our you know, space is the funding piece. So how do you just just brainstorming and thinking through how do you fund a kind of a non-traditional form of church? Now, while I will say that's a common, those two things are common for all church planters, there's absolutely some additional challenges um, as a woman. Mm -hmm. I'm part of an amazing group of women church planters from across the United States, and we talk about these things again and again. One of the things that's a barrier is that for some people, um, giving to a female church planter, they wrestle with that from a theological standpoint. And so where my male, um, my brothers who have church planted, they may have access to a lot more resources. That's been a challenge for us. And that's an even bigger challenge for my sisters of color. So um, we're kind of navigating what are those challenges. You, it's, you kind of realize that there's a challenge, you face it, and then some others come up. But the two main ones, I would say, are that networking piece and that funding piece. Yeah, definitely. What have you felt have been opportunities for yeah. you as a woman? Yeah. Um, one of the things that's been really interesting, I think there's been um, there's been a lot of healing for some people that I didn't realize um, I would be a representative for. So God's character is described in both male terms and female terms. We don't always talk about those female terms, but if you look across Scripture, God's character has both masculine and feminine aspects to it. And so I think one of the things that I represent are those, those feminine aspects of who God is. 
Um, and then there's there there's been healing in that. You know, just like we um, we need our church father figures, we need our church mother figures. We need both. Mm-hmm. So I think there's been that's been a huge opportunity. And then another opportunity is um, I think it's really powerful when you see male church planters and female church planters or male leaders and female church leaders working side by side. I think that really represents the fullness of who Christ is and the fullness of God's intent for humanity. And so there's a real opportunity to, to step into that as well. Yeah. Can you give any examples where that's been the case for you, where you've been able to experience that kind of partnership? Yeah. Um, so I am a big, ad- I'm a big collaborator. Um, and so I'm part of a lot of different networks and I get different things out of different networks. So I'm part of one network that's um, male and female church planters. And so for me, there's real benefit in seeing, gosh, how do my brothers think through this? Or what are they, what are they wrestling with? Um, the real gift in that is what I was talking about earlier, that there are, there are challenges for church planters that are universal. And so there's a real, you know, that, that really fills me up, um, makes me realize that I'm not crazy, you know, around some <laughs> of the things that I face. And then there's this additional beauty around, um, I've got a group of those, that group of female pastors I was talking about, I just met with them this morning, and they um, they give me something completely different. They provide this space of uh, today we are sharing joys and laments. Um, what is it? You know, what are we celebrating as women, and what are we lamenting as women? And you know, being able to do that together, I, I think in our Western culture we are so individualistic, and we're really we've really been taught that we're supposed to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps on our own. But I really think that our God is a God of community. Um, you know, he's re- that's represented in the Trinity. And so, being able to walk this path with these women has taught me a lot about the fullness of stepping in who to who God has made me as a woman. But working alongside my brothers has helped me realize that, gosh, we're, we're all in this together. And mm. how do we do this both male and female side by side? So it's, it really fuels me and fills me up in different ways. Definitely. You also mentioned that your husband is in chaplaincy. Yep. What is that like to be a ministry partnership with your husband? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, our ministry contexts have similarities and differences. Um, one of the things that is similar is that we're in the midst of people's lives in the good times and in the hard times. Um, his job, I say, man, I don't know how he does his job, Liz. I know you're, you're going into chaplaincy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he's with, he's with patients and with family members and with staff um, during the beautiful and grief-stricken time of death. Um, and you know, there's, he works really hard to do self-care because it's easy to get to a place of compassion fatigue. Mm. Um, my, in similar fashion, um, I sit with people in their joys and in their pains. And I also have to be aware of self-care and compassion fatigue. And so I will say that for us, there's a beauty because we can understand that we're both in this ministry space, but we have intentionally for years worked really hard to recognize when you have two, when you're, you've got a married couple that's in ministry um, in these high needs areas, we have to be really, really good at um, being aware of, of when the other person needs space, of when the other person needs some time together, of when the other person might be in that compassion fatigue place. 
years ago, we had this conversation around, um, you know, hey, what if we just assume that the reason that the, the other person is having a bad day or wrestling or struggling or coming out a little bit sideways is because they're in a place of compassion fatigue? Can we give each other grace in that space? Mm. So we've really worked to put some intentional pieces in place so that we can be good partners in that. Yeah, that's great. What specifically have you learned about yourself in terms of your calling as a woman, your place in the kingdom of God as an active participant, yeah. through your experience in ministry, through your adult life, and as well as church planning specifically? Yeah. Um, one of the things I've learned is that there, I have a lot of head trash that I've accumulated oh. <laughs> over the years. Yes, lots of head trashes. How do we define head trash? <laughs> head trash, the things that float around in our heads that become messages about who, who God thinks we are that aren't true to who he really says we are. Wow, wow. I need to write that down. I'm going to use that now. Yeah, head trash. Head trash. So for me, the head trash <laughs> becomes, um, you know, I'm not enough as a woman. Um, I'm, quote, supposed to be living in this kind of space as a female leader. Um, there's head trash around being a non-traditional form of church. There's head trash around um, the pandemic has passed and we're continuing in this non-traditional form of church. So one of the things I've learned is that um, that head trash is not from God. It's not, it doesn't um, represent who he is. It doesn't match his character. And yet I can let that head trash um, become my identity. And so that makes me small when Christ invites me into the fullness of who he's made me to be. So one of the things that I'm learning is to identify that. Thank goodness for Brene Brown and her work on shame. Praise the Lord. Right? (laughs) Vulnerability. Um, I go back to it again and again. But just recognizing that there's, you know, we hold this shame around these things that we've created these idols out of God. We've made God this this person or this um, being, this holy being this God creator of the universe that thinks that we're, um, that is, that is punishing us or, um, waiting for us to mess up. And that just doesn't, that's not who he is. That doesn't describe him. So one of my challenges has been, how do I identify the head trash? And then how do I replace the head trash with the truths about who God is and who I am? And so I think then out of that, um, another thing that I'm learning is how do I step into the fullness of who Christ has made me to be? How do I stand in confidence that this is what, where he's called me? How do I trust that, um, you know, even though the networking and the finances can be challenging, that he doesn't call us into something and then leave us hanging? Mm. So I think really kind of that balance of recognizing the head trash and then replacing that in trust um, in the creator. Wow. I'm going to start using head trash. Yeah. My, yeah. My <laughs> that was great. New TikTok. Also, if you don't mind me interrupting, I just, yes. something I wanted to call out from my own training and chaplaincy is that oftentimes one of the benefits of working as a chaplain is getting to exist with people in spaces outside the church and in your own relationship with your husband and his working in chaplaincy and then in your um, working in church planning, it sounds like this model you've created that is non-traditional and is able to meet people in third places like you had defined, like these coffee shops. I see how that could just be so healing for people to be able to have a place um, depending on where their backgrounds come from. So I just really want to encourage you in that. I think that um, as Abby and I come into this, you know, our programs, her specializing in cultural engagement, mine in chaplaincy, it just seems like you're blending what you've learned from you 
and your husband's ministries to be able to integrate the best of both and what mm-hmm. you're doing in church planning. So thank you. Oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah wait, that's well incredible. articulated. Well, thank you. Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> if we have any women or men listening to this who yes. are interested in church planning, yeah. would you have any words of encouragement or advice Yep. Anything you'd want to share? I Yeah. Um, my biggest thing is we weren't made to do this alone. And so just my encouragement is to um, to find people to do this with. That can be hard. Um, you know, again, church planting can be lonely in and of itself. And so I just want to put out the invitation. If you are thinking about church planting, if you're already a church planter, if you want somebody to talk to, I've got, I know of a lot of networks um, and I would love to be a resource. So if you're interested in that, feel free to reach out at resiliencechurch.org or you can email me at danielle at resiliencechurch.org. Nice plug. Thanks. Wow. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Great. Do you have anything else that you want to share? Anything that came to mind in regards to just the issue of mutuality as a whole? Um, that is a good question. Um, you know, I keep coming back to I've had some good conversations with some of my brothers over the years. And I think for some of my brothers, their mutuality has created a fear that, um, that they will be less than. And one of the things that I'm a big advocate for is that the goal isn't for um, there to be more for one and less for one. The word mutuality in and of itself is that there's enough for everyone. Just like, you know, we were talking earlier that um, God's finances, that his, his uh, resources are endless. Um, his resources are endless for us as people as well. And so we don't need to fight with one another. We don't need to try to, you know, figure out who's going to be bigger or better or on top. Um, we can just really stand side by side because there's enough for all of us to live fully into who God's made us to be. I love that. We're all in this together. We're all in this together. Well, Daniel, this has been so wonderful. I appreciate who you are and what you're doing so much. And I'm so honored to know you. And I just want to thank you for taking this time to spend with us and to talk about these things. Oh, it was great to be with both you, Abby, and with you, Liz, as well. Oh, thanks. Yeah. For our listeners, just want to thank you so much for listening in with us today at CB Denver Mutuality Minded. We're looking forward to continuing this conversation further about what mutuality looks like in different spheres in our next episode. If you want more information about CBE Denver or would like to engage in further dialogue about the topics we discussed here, check out our website at cbedenver.com or visit our Facebook and Instagram pages for more information. Wherever you may be, driving to work, hitting the gym, having normal life around your home, Thank you so much for joining us, and remember to stay mutuality-minded. Until next time.